Even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen. There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska. You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. It's time for another edition of the Empty Office Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mason. Today, Senator Tobin and I sit down with former State Representative Chris Tuck to discuss the work of the Alaska State Legislature and to get some advice on how to be a great lawmaker and survive the political turmoil in Juneau. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Empty Office Podcast, a podcast from the office of Senator Luke Gail Tobin. My name is Mike Mason, and joining me today is Senator Tobin. And we have former representative, just out of office, Representative Chris Tuck. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I wanted to just ask a few questions about serving in the Alaska legislature. Let's begin, first of all, with the transition from being a lawmaker to uh, for such a long time and being in leadership and being kind of in the the day-to-day hustle and bustle. Uh, how has it been transitioning out of that, Representative Tuck, over the past like three or four weeks? Well, actually, that's a really good question because people ask me, has it hit you yet that you're no longer serving in the legislature? And it never really has. And I think a few reasons. One is I left with a very successful session. Um, we got the Alaska Reads Act passed. There's a subdivision in my district, Hillcrest, Hillcrest subdivision, that uh, had water problems because of a construction project that the Department of Transportation had. And we finally made those residents whole. It took six years to get there. But uh, that combined with all some other achievements that we were able to do, including one of the largest permanent fund dividends in state history, um, I think that uh, it was a good time to leave. Not only that, but looking at the freshmen that's coming in and the excitement that's going on here in the Capitol, I'm, I'm proud that I'm here this weekend, but uh, that, that's another factor that made it easy to, to leave. One of the things I am going to miss is you get to learn about all sorts of great things here in the state of Alaska. And I love to learn, and uh, leaving the legislature is kind of like uh, – graduating from college you know it's time to move on to other things i think we're going to miss you uh as we dive into carbon sequestration (laughs) and having your expertise and knowledge in the room it's such a big bite of an apple to chew and to try to wrap your brain around what does it mean to get into this new exploration this this new field for alaska yeah it's um, amongst other um subjects that are going to be coming up um in the future And and that's one thing too that we all need to know is that uh, our roles are really important, but there's always going to be something on the horizon that we're going to have to tackle. And, you know, for the last couple of years has been COVID. And COVID really did change some of the dynamics here in the building, keeping people separated, isolated from one another. And one of the other excitements that I see going on is the capital is going back to normal. And there is so much good interactions amongst the freshmen amongst uh, all legislators, that I really believe that Alaska's on the right path. I wanted to get your thoughts about uh, the uh, the new Senate majority, the supermajority, 17 members strong, featuring Senator Tobin as the chair of the Education Committee. When you saw that happen, what, what was your thoughts? My thoughts were, again, Alaska's in a good place. The legislature's in a good place. We are finally going back to the days where Republican and Democrat doesn't matter. 
where people come together and do what's best for Alaska once elected. And the Senate is a perfect example of that. Uh, one of the things that uh, Senator Tobin and myself are working on is the uh, uh, proposed increase to the base student allocation. Uh, I know that education was really your passion uh, in, in the Alaska legislature. What are your thoughts about the, uh, the efforts to increase the BSA? And what are your thoughts about the, the prospects of actually getting it passed? Well, it's long overdue. Fortunately, the federal government, through COVID, has rescued our public education system. If it wasn't for those federal dollars coming in, because we are in a revenue shortfall with the state of Alaska. And uh, it really takes people working together to solve some of these problems. And again, seeing the Senate have the coalition, the very large coalition that they have, really demonstrates that people are really wanting to solve, together, solve, solve these issues. When I served on the school board is when we had the first real increase to base student allocation in decades underneath Governor Palin. And we were able to open up the King Career Center at that time for summer school. First time we opened up summer school other than remediation. And we were bursting out the seams. So we did two sessions the very next year, bursting out the seams again. And so we did three summer school sessions. And the only reason why we didn't didn't do four is because we did not have enough summertime to allow for four sessions. But the construction classes, the welding classes, the photography classes, the daycare classes, the home ec or the cooking classes, all jam-packed. So it just shows there's a desire for students that want to really make education relevant. And it really is funding. I mean, a lot of people think that funding funding should have some accountability to it, but... Cutting funds from schools before getting accountability is, is doing it backwards. One of the interesting conversations that I think we'll be having this session is that career and technical pipeline. We haven't been investing in that particular pipeline for a significant period of time, and we're seeing it now. I know as a person who's been building a home for the last few years, finding subcontractors has been probably the most difficult thing uh, I've ever experienced. We just don't have enough talented laborers, construction workers, general contractors, electricians, plumbers in the state. And this makes me very worried for our future prospects around the liquid natural gas pipeline, around new technologies being dispersed, because who's going to take care of those resources and assets once we've propped them up? And those are great career fields. I mean, I'm an electrician by trade. And, uh, and seeing that desire of the King Career Center Students like working with their hands. And unfortunately, when budgets shrink, it is cheaper to prepare kids for college than it is to have these specialty courses because you have to have specialty tools and equipment. Uh, You have consumable materials, specialty instructors. And so that's the reason why we've seen um, a lot of our shop classes uh, leave the high school and be centralized in one area. And then unfortunately, students have to take off um, an hour or two of their day to go take those courses. And so, um, yeah, it's just, and then when we really need those skilled workers, we are recruiting them from Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and other places. So we're not getting the return on investment on education dollars by not doing the trades. We got to get back into that. We had a really great piece of testimony from a Juno school member, uh, a student who had taken the first semester of CAD, loved it, couldn't wait for CAD two. And lo and behold, it was cut the next semester because they had to make hard decisions about what they could and could not fund. And to know that we had somebody who was so passionate about this very cool system 
but unable to continue their education in it is devastating. It's devastating for the state because there is a loss that we won't feel today, but we'll definitely feel it tomorrow. So uh, Representative or former Representative Chris Tuck uh, served his entire career in the Alaska House of Representatives. Switching to the House, uh, when you look at the, uh, the, the makeup of the 33rd Alaska Legislature in the House, what are your observations and, and kind of what are your prospects, uh, what do you think about the prospects are for good public policy making it through the, this current version of the House? Well, that's still yet to be determined. There are a lot of freshmen, 17 freshmen in the House, which is uh, almost half. And when you look at the number of sophomores, if you allow me to say it that way, that we had the year before, and then the the uh, the class before that, who really never saw it into session because of the COVID experiences that we had, um, it's all it's all going to be new. And uh, I'm I'm really excited to see that the freshman caucus has come together because that's people from all sides. That's Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and that is majority minority. And any type of blending that we can have, such as that, I think is going to um, keep a dialogue open and building relationships. And that's, that's I think, one of the key things of uh, moving the state forward is building relationships among the decision makers, whether inside this building or outside this building. And seeing the, um, the vigor that they have and listening to their new ideas, I'm hopeful. At the same time, I hope that uh, some of the older or Long-standing members that are in the legislature is open to those new ideas and open to seeing those relationships be built and doesn't somehow start separating people from a majority-minority status. Do lawmakers uh, reach out to you for advice? I know you used to do uh, kind of weekly trainings, uh, uh, really kind of informal uh, discussions with uh, with lawmakers. Uh, do current lawmakers reach out to you and, and seek your advice? Well, we had uh, when I first got elected. Uh, David Gutberg had the Freshman Fridays. And that's an opportunity for freshmen such as myself to come in and just ask questions and know what's going on, learn the dynamics, know it's the proper way of doing this, doing that, and understanding the rules. And then when I became the minority whip, I took over that role for new members coming in. And then I took over that role, continued that role as minority leader and then majority leader. And uh, so now that... um, Things have been shaken up a little bit in the House. I've been asked to continue doing that, so I will be doing that for this uh, this first session is uh, going over the dynamics of the legislature with, for the freshmen. So uh, one of the big kind of differences between being in the minority and the majority uh, in kind of my viewpoint is just the workload or in kind of the difference in the workload. Senator Tobin uh, has referenced several times now that uh, there's a lot of things that uh, she was not aware of that she is now aware of about how the the difference between being a staffer and a lawmaker. Can you talk about that? And perhaps maybe Chris Tuck might have some some advice or something for all of the the people out there trying to, to deal with the workload. Yeah, you know, one of the things I really appreciated that Chris brought to the table was this deep knowledge of the rules. I would often see him carrying around Mason's manual or the uniform rules, and it was a dog-eared copy. It wasn't a book that just was performative. He read this and understood how to navigate the, the way that the building operates and the way that the rules influence how you can move or potentially delay policy from going through the process. 
And now that I'm in this new role where I have a leadership role in ensuring that we uphold the rulings of the chair or we understand what are some of the wrenches that could be thrown into the conversation, it's overwhelming. It's not just taking a following role. Now it's a leading role. And it's been difficult to wrap my brain around how do you do this effectively? How do you synthesize all of this new information, learning about all the new potential opportunities for Alaska, having all the constituents come to your door almost daily at a, at a half hour, you know, a half hour pace. And then also keep abreast of how do I just make sure that I am being an active participant that is constructive in the governance of Alaska? How did you do it? Well, when you're a freshman, you take on everything. And you have the energy and you have the desire and you want to learn and you also want to make connections. And, and so you have commissioners visiting you because, uh, you know, your role with commissioners is very important and you need to get to know them. They, need, they want to get to know you. Um, they're going to have legislation that they're going to be carrying on behalf of the governor. And, of course, you're going to have constituent issues that you're going to have to work through with the commissioners to, uh, to solve your community efforts and uh, your local problems. And so... And some confirmations as well. So you're going to be, uh, you're definitely going to be uh, making the rounds. And then you have uh, lobbyists that are going to be coming in and uh, sharing their issues, as well as constituents and people flying in and different organizations. So your, your schedule is going to get jam-packed. As a matter of fact, I recommend that someday you may want to share Lukey's schedule with uh, Senator Tobin's schedule with her constituents, just so she can see the life and day of what it's like to be a senator, um, because uh, your day is jam-packed. You know, contrary to what people believe, uh, when the session hits, the session is, is flying. It, it's starting. And that's one of the excitements that I see going on here. It kind of slowed down a little bit during COVID on how things were processed because we didn't have so many people in the building. But, you know, any given day, you'll have anywhere between three or 500 people around this building. Yeah, one of the things I I am very honest with people about is that I am not a morning person. I like to start my day at around 8 or 9 and potentially roll into work at 9.30. And you and I would have this dialogue when I was a staffer about my disinterest of being an early riser. And now my meetings, my meetings start at 7 o'clock and they go until about 6, 6.30. And I keep thinking, how did you do it? How did you wake up and be prepared for that first person to walk in your door at seven and you were ready and interested and just uh, open to what they were going to share with you and not dog tired. How did you do that? Well, I have to share this with you that at one point in my life, I can never imagine being a morning person. Seriously, I say that because I am such a morning person now that people can't imagine that I never was a morning person. But trust me, at one time in my life, I didn't think, and you, you just you just do it, you know, just eventually it gets there and you do it. And then before it becomes a habit, before you know it's, it's a habit, and then you, yeah, it just happens to you. It's so fascinating. I I get home at 6, 6.30. I have, I serve on several nonprofit boards, and so I also have board meetings. I'm taking classes, and then I have to tackle my email. And your constituents want to talk to you, and it is your responsibility to respond back or try to navigate the system for them because the system is confusing. And so I get to bed at two or three in the morning and then I'm up again at six. And all I could think of was Chris Tuck must've been habitually tired. Everyone in this building must be just fatigued. And it makes me understand why when folks gavel out, they take a break. They take a moment to recharge a battery that has been absolutely drawn down to zero. Well, 
I appreciate your first newsletter because uh, seeing Senator Tobin's office and introducing your staff, really that's what it is. It's the team. So don't take it all on yourself. Uh, make sure you, you uh, distribute that amongst your team, but you have a fantastic team. And uh, if it wasn't for Mike Mason here in front of us that uh, it, when he was working in my office, um, I wouldn't be able to accomplish as much as I have. So it really is a team effort. And so, But make sure you lean on your staff and make sure you do have regular staff meetings because uh, um, that is key. So before we wrap up here on the Empty Office podcast, I wanted to ask kind of a, a, an oddball question. Uh, Rep. Tuck, if you could take one lawmaker that you served with that's no longer in this legislature and put them in office to kind of help or be part of this, who would you choose other than yourself? Oh, man, that is a tough one. You know, one person, um, I wouldn't... This is going to going outside a little bit of uh, people who I served with, and this is a long timer, old timer that uh, served. I would have to say Senator Rick Halford, um, who was a House member, Representative Halford, and um, he uh, is a Republican. Um, he's experienced some pretty tough times with the oil industry. Um, he has uh, seen a coup. He has actually took part in a coup that took place in the House at one time. But his perspectives on and the history that he has, really what we need is we need another Rick Halford in the legislature to really share with new people Alaska's history, just to bring in the pride and also the, those experiences and knowing, because, you know, you don't want history to repeat itself. But having that longevity, I think, would be key. And uh, if he hadn't passed away, it would have been Clem Tellian as well. I mean, those two actually worked pretty well with one another. But I would have to bring someone from deep in the past to, uh, into the legislature. You've been listening to the Empty Office podcast presented by the office of Senator Lukey Gale Tobin. Please refer the podcast to your friends and family. I'm your host, Mike Mason. Until next time, please be safe out there.